Okay, well, hello, Grace South Bay. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Wayne Alder. I'm a teaching elder in our church's denomination. I, I serve as a chaplain for a local uh, Army Reserve Battalion. And uh, my wife and I have been attending Grace South Bay uh, for a little over a year. Today's sermon is based on a text from Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. So please open that up and, and read along with me. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. <clears throat> then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children of Bethlehem and in that whole region, two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained by the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word today. Uh, use me as an instrument to speak edification and encouragement um, to your people, the Church of Grace South Bay. Amen. Well, I mentioned to you that uh, my wife and I have been living in California for uh, over a year, but I'm actually a California native. I'm from a small town of about 180 people uh, called Big Oak Flat. You might have passed it if you've ever gone through uh, to Yosemite. And you'll know that you passed it because you'll drive through it and you'll say, oh, wait, that was a town? Uh, I didn't know that there were towns without any stoplights. So it's a tiny little town. Uh, the best way to describe my family is kind of a combination between hippies and rednecks. That was the family I grew up in. See, we were uh, very environmentally conscious, um, and uh, we were very proud that we had this great, clean, clear mountain air that we breathed. And we never quite trusted city folk because they breathed um, polluted air, and it messed with their heads. Um, my parents also, there's this thing nowadays uh, called van lifers, where people live in vans. Well, yeah, my parents were into that uh, way before it was cool. 
uh, 30 years ago. They moved with my older sister to California and lived in a van for several months. Um, We're also kind of rednecks, though. Uh, Around our house was about 10 to 15 cars. Uh, None of them ran. We kind of just kept them there for decoration, I guess. Uh, Being from California, uh, you know, especially in light of this past summer, that one thing that we all deal with is the natural disaster of wildfires. When I was five years old, um, a a, a fire marshal came to our house and told us that a fire was coming over the ridge. Uh, We would have to evacuate immediately. That, uh, you know, take what you can because they they couldn't promise us that our house uh, would be standing there by the time we got back. So uh, we, we I remember throwing my clothes um, into the van. We grabbed our four full-size dogs, shoved them into the van. We had a little bit more room left. And I remember my, gra- my dad uh, grabbed our 36-inch screen TV. Uh, it was not a flat screen. It was one of those big ones. And we, we shoved it into the van. And um, because, you know, you got to have your priorities, right? And, um, and we left, not knowing whether we would have a house standing uh, when we got back. Luckily, we were able to come back in a few days. Our house survived. There was that red fire retardant that they dropped from planes. Uh, was all over our house and all over everywhere. Uh, but boy, what a jarring, uh, unplanned experience of having to run, um, run for safety without knowing what would be there uh, when we got back. When I take a big picture look at the text that we read from Matthew 2, I see two things that jump out at me, uh, two things that kind of seem contradictory. You know, on the one hand, I see these surprising, these unplanned, uh, these tragic events, uh, the circumstances of Joseph and Mary's life. And then on the other hand, we read, that, it, uh, that, that this is all unfolding according to God's plan. So a couple of examples. First, you have the difficulty of Joseph receiving a dream in the middle of the night and getting a warning in the middle of the night to take your baby uh, and, and your wife and leave because you're in danger. Flee to Egypt. Imagine having to prepare uh, in the middle of the night for a hundred-mile journey. That's how far uh, Bethlehem was from the border of Egypt. Um, with no advance notice, and, and, and you would think, man, uh, if, God, if, if, if God could have just given them a little bit of advance notice, that would have been great. Um, it seems so unplanned, but then Matthew in verse 15 says that this was planned, and it was foretold, and all this happened to fulfill, uh, verse 15, out of Egypt I had called my son. And then we have the tragic situation of Herod, uh, killing the boys two years and under uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, by the way, I, I heard one time somebody said the correct pronunciation for uh, Herod the Great is Herod the Great, psychopathic murderer. He had ten wives, uh, two of whom he killed. He had many, many sons, three of whom he killed. Um, his sister had a husband who he killed, and then he married his sister. So, um, so, so what, we, what we know about Herod from the historical record uh, is totally consistent with, with this account of the Bible. Um, that, that when he realized he was tricked by the wise men, he goes on this rampage and he, 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 he kills these boys two years and under in Bethlehem in that whole region. 
Um, and it seems like such a, it, 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 was, it was based on a misunderstanding. You know, he thought that Jesus represented some threat uh, to himself as a king, hearing from the wise men that, that this great ruler would come. Um, couldn't God have just said, like, hey, Herod, <laughs> uh, you know, your, 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 your little kingdom isn't going to be threatened by Jesus. Um, so it seems like such an unnecessary consequence. But then we hear that this was actually foretold by Jeremiah. Look at verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah. That's the region of, uh, in the region of Judah where Bethlehem is, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, Rachel there signifies uh, the mothers of, of Israel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So we have these haphazard, seemingly unplanned events uh, on the one hand, but then we have Matthew telling us that everything is happening according to plan. <clears throat> and the Bible tells us that that's our lives as well. Uh, Psalm 139.16 says this, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of them were. All of our days of our life were written down in God's book before they came to pass. So God has a plan for our lives. Sometimes we hear that, you know, it's going to be okay. God has a plan, and, and, and that can feel a little bit empty. And, and what I want us to do is to, is to mine into that a little bit, um, uh, figure out what are the real-life implications of the fact that God has a plan. So I want to look at three things. I want to look at, first, since God has a plan, we follow his guiding. Second, since God has a plan, we wait on his timing. And third, since God has a plan, we endure through hope. So since God has a plan, we follow his guiding. Joseph, in these early chapters of Matthew, he hears uh, from the angel uh, four different times. In dream number three, he's told that Herod the Great, remember, psychopathic murderer, uh, was dead. And it was, it was safe for him to return to Israel. Now, there's some indication in the text that what they wanted to do was settle in Judea, uh, specifically probably in Jerusalem. Uh, but then we read that Archelaus, Herod's uh, cruel um, but incompetent son, was ruling over all of Judea. Uh, and so we read in verse 22, So being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Galilee was north of Judea, uh, and he was safe from Archelaus there. So that, wasn't, that was not Joseph's plan. Joseph wanted to settle in the much better region of Judea, probably in Bethlehem. Uh, Judea was where the temple was. So the Judea was where Jerusalem was. Um, and we're going to get into this a little bit later. But Nazareth uh, was a very uh, disreputable place. So we see that Joseph followed God's guiding. One, by surrendering his plans to God. It can be disappointing to surrender your plans to God. My favorite author um, had to surrender his plans to God because early on uh, in his career, he realized that he was a failure. Uh, the greatest art he considered to be poetry, and he just never amounted to much as a poet. And he realized he had to just let that go and um, be open to what, whatever God might be doing in his life. 
if he was never able to let that go, um, if, if he strove um, vainly to be a poet, uh, we would never have had Narnia, mere Christianity. We would never have had all the great writings of C.S. Lewis. Um, so, so, uh, so we can be thankful that he was able to let that plan of his go, um, seeing, uh, <laughs> seeing what a great mind he became. So following God's guidance may mean you give up on your plan. Following God's guidance also means you may be able to have to be obedient despite the difficulty. Let's look at uh, Joseph and Mary's travels. So, so they start in Nazareth. Uh, we hear from Luke that there's a census and they have to travel down to Bethlehem. While Mary is pregnant, on foot, 60 miles. So they get down to Bethlehem and then Jesus is born and they're probably sore from, from the journey um, sore in the foot and uh, not planning on taking any more journeys when an angel wakes up Joseph um, and, and, and tells him, uh, an angel gives him a dream telling him, you've got to go another hundred miles south um, to Egypt now with a small child. Um, and then uh, dreams three and four we saw, uh, they, they came back from Egypt. Uh, it was 160 miles from the border of Egypt uh, back up to Nazareth. Uh, so all that walking around would be the same thing as, as, as walking from here in San Jose to Las Vegas. Imagine doing that on foot, pregnant for part of the way, with a toddler for part of the way. Could not have been easy. Now, where do we go for guidance? You know, when I am struggling with a decision, I usually don't get dreams from God. An important question is, you know, does God speak through dreams? Can God speak through dreams? Um, I have to say that God can do whatever he wants to do. He can speak in dreams. He can spell out a message to you in your alphabet soup. Uh, but, but the trick comes in with, uh, how do we know that we've heard from God? Some of my dreams, you know, don't make sense at all to me. Well, we know that we can hear from God by reading his words to us in the Bible. Now, that might be a little bit disappointing to hear because usually when we're looking for guidance, we're looking for guidance about specific things. What school should I go to? Who should I marry? Where should I send my kids to school? What should my career be? What job should I take? And the Bible doesn't usually give us <laughs> answers to those kinds of questions. The Bible doesn't tell me where to walk in this life, but it does tell me how to walk. The Bible doesn't tell me which job to take, but it tells me the kind of person I need to be in whatever job I am in. And it's it's kind of like this. I was a camp counselor at a Christian camp, and I was in charge of about eight to ten junior high boys. And we each day we'd have a schedule that I'd be given, listing all the activities and when we needed to be there. The boys always wanted to know what was on the schedule, what are the activities, and if you told them, you would be making a huge mistake if you told them uh, what, what the schedule was, because they would see which activities are their favorite, and they would leave early their less favorite activities, and go and probably get lost, and then you couldn't know where all your kids were. So I had to have an arrangement with them. I said, 
I cannot tell you the plan, but here's what you can do for me to make sure that the plan happens. Don't get lost. Don't break the rules. Don't fight. I will make sure that we get to all the fun activities. So when I'm looking for guidance, I pray, I ask for wise counsel, and I look to the Bible uh, seeking, you know, what is the character that the Bible uh, has for me to live? Uh, How is it calling me to live? By the way, uh, you know, this is the new year. Congratulations, we made it. Uh, The new year is a great time to uh, pick up one of those Bible reading plans if you don't already do that. I do that one, uh, that McShane one, where I have these uh, bookmarks, and I just, I go online, I print off these bookmarks, and I've got four different places I'm reading through. Uh, I give myself plenty of grace. I fall behind weeks and weeks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not earning my salvation by reading my Bible, but that's a great way for, for me to know uh, what is the character that God has for me? What is the character that he's calling me to live? <clears throat> How is he calling me to live? And man, in, in, in light of the events of 2020, uh, I'll bet we're asking, you know, what is next? When do the kids go back to school? Some of you might be asking, when do I get to go back to work? When do we stop worrying about our aged friends and family members? And the Bible does have words of direction for us. You know, one thing that the Bible, I'm sure, um, uh, has, has for us is, how well have you loved your family in the midst of this? Many of our houses are much more crammed right now with the kids at home uh, than they've been in a long time. Uh, I'm sure it can get tense. Um, have you loved your family well? Have you checked on people uh, who maybe are in isolation? Have you called them, uh, told them that you're thinking about them? So we follow God's guidance by being willing to surrender our plans and being willing to obey throughout the difficulties. My second main point is, since God has a plan, we wait on his timing. Look at verse 13. The angel tells Joseph, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. I've got a question for you. How long do you wait on God when he leaves it open-ended and unspecified? Wait until I tell you. Uh, you know that Joseph must have known the story of Abraham. <clears throat> when Abraham was 75 and his wife was 65, they were told that they would be given a son. They were already way past the, uh, the years of, of childbearing. Um, and how long did they have to wait? Even though it was already too late for them, they had to wait another 25 years Till Abraham was a hundred years old before Isaac came. But Joseph, even though he was familiar with that and knew that he was writing God a blank check, uh, Joseph immediately packed up and fled to Egypt um, and waited on God's timing. Now, uh, luckily for Joseph, it looks like he only waited a few years down there in Egypt before he was allowed to return. Uh, there was a, the census that sent the family down to Jerusalem. Uh, from historical records, looks like it happened around 6 BC. And the death of Herod looks like it happened around 4 BC sometime. So they didn't have to wait more than just a few years. <clears throat> but Joseph waited. 
Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I'll bet you've heard that verse before. That's kind of a common verse to hear. Uh, I heard that so many times before I realized, wait, what gives him uh, the strength to rise up on wings like an eagle, to run and not be weary? Waiting gives him that strength, which is kind of a crazy thing because, man, I feel like for me, waiting saps my strength. Waiting takes my strength away. At the beginning of 2020, uh, my wife and I had, had four goals that we wanted to happen in 2020. They were reasonable, attainable goals. And, 20, and COVID basically obliterated three of those four goals. So 2020 was like a 75% failure rate for us in the Alder household. We also had an unexpected tragic loss in the family. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's, it's pushed my wife and I to be able to say, you know, to go to God and to say, Lord, uh, we do not need these things that we wanted to happen uh, we don't need them in our timing, and we trust you even if we never get those things. That's our, that's our practice. Now, I can bet that 2020 has delayed some of the plans of, of people from our church. I'm sure that some of your financial goals have had to get pushed back. Maybe trips you wanted to take uh, are going to have to wait. And the challenge to us is do we accept God's timing, looking to him in faith, or do we get impatient and demanding, you know, these, these things that uh, the pandemic pushed back, they were things that we were expecting and things that we were wanting. But can we open our hands to God and say, um, not our wills, but his be done. So since God has a plan, we wait on his timing. My third and last point is, since God has a plan, we endure the difficulties through hope. I used to think that enduring difficulties was a matter of understanding why God would allow certain things to happen. And once you understood, you know, that, that this bad thing happened so that this better thing could happen, or this bad thing happened so that this worse thing wouldn't happen, you'd be able to accept God's plan. And when I look at this story of Herod killing these innocent boys... I don't see any reason for that. I don't see what good came of that. I don't see what bad thing was prevented by that. Um, I've, I've come to realize in my life that there are just some parts of God's plan that will remain a secret to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. I think this side of heaven, there will just be things that happen in our lives that we can't understand. So it's not like we're given a choice between understanding or not understanding, but we are given a choice. We're given a choice to uh, endure difficult things through hope or allow those difficult things to turn us jaded and cynical.
You know, a quick question, a good question is, well, what is hope? Here's a quick example of what hope is. So this week, I, uh, my, my wife got me to begin, began uh, running around uh, the block with her doing um, jogging, which I don't like to do. So on the first day, uh, we get outside and it's freezing cold and everything's gray and dreary and I limp around the block and it's a, it's a, terrible experience for me um, and the next morning we wake up and I get this uh, really encouraging email um, uh, a, a big um, a big thing for for my career um, that I was going to have to wait 13 months on it looks like it's going to happen in just a month I was not expecting that uh, so so this is a I got a really good email and I was telling my wife that before we walked outside to, to do our second jog, but today the, the cold wind, it, was, it wasn't cold and dreary, it was invigorating. The grass was green, the whole world was singing. Now, what happened? Um, because actually those two days, the weather was very similar. What happened was that I had the hope of this future thing that I was applying to the present. Um, some, some future reality of mine uh, was making my present much better. And that's what hope is. That's what it is to use hope. And the fact is that as Christians, um, God's plan gives us a future that allows for extremely powerful hope. And our hope is found in Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to unpack that just a little bit, that Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, take a look at verse 23. It says, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he, Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. Now, one puzzling thing is when we look in the Old Testament, there actually isn't a claim that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. And in fact, uh, the, the Nazarite vow, some people, you know, you might think, well, maybe it has to do something with the Nazarite vow is maybe connected to the Messiah. Uh, the Nazarite vow is, is that thing where they wouldn't drink wine and they wouldn't cut their hair. Uh, that's what uh, Samuel and Samson did. There's actually no indication that the Nazarite vow um, uh, relates to the Messiah. So what are these Old Testament prophets getting at then what is Matthew saying that they're getting at? What they're getting at is, is that Nazareth uh, had a terrible reputation, and people from there had a terrible reputation. A quick example of that is found in, in John uh, chapter 1. Uh, Jesus is collecting his disciples, um, and Philip says to Nathaniel, Philip, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Matthew's point here is that many Old Testament prophets say of the Messiah that he would be despised and rejected like people from Nazareth. Uh, D.A. Carson puts it like this, First century readers of Matthew who had tasted their share of scorn who have quickly, uh, would have quickly caught Matthew's point. He was not saying that a particular Old Testament prophet foretold that the Messiah would live in Nazareth, he was saying that the Old Testament prophets foretold that the Messiah would be despised. In other words, Matthew gives us the substance of several Old Testament passages, not a direct quotation. 
Uh, one such passage from the Old Testament can be found in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. And it says this, <clears throat> speaking of the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So Jesus was a Nazarene in the sense that he was despised and rejected. And in fact, him being a Nazarene was, was part of his uh, God's plan. Because it was through being despised and rejected uh, that we were saved. That was how he saved us, uh, through being rejected, being put to death, being put to death on the cross. You know, we can ask, how did Jesus get through that difficulty? Hebrews 12.2 says he endured the pain of the cross, scorning its shame. How did he do it? Well, right before that, we read, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the pain of the cross, scorning the shame. You know, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? While Jesus was on the cross, he was looking forward to some future reality that allowed him to endure that pain of the cross. That joy that joy was you and I, redeemed and made whole by his sacrifice. Jesus was on the cross, overcoming the difficulty by looking at the future reality of us made whole with him uh, so that he can endure the punishment that we should have taken so that he can endure the wrath of God in our place. I want to close by saying, church, uh, this has been a hard year behind us. And we don't know, I don't think we'll ever know why God allowed this pandemic to overtake our world. But don't let bitterness, don't let hopelessness and cynicism creep into your hearts. Sin no longer separates us from God. And if, you, and if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you walk with him this day forward until you step into eternity where there are no more pandemics, no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain. <clears throat> I had a football coach in high school who would always say, leave it on the field, leave it all out on the field. Don't get discouraged halfway through the game and start dragging your feet, leave it on the field. You know, I don't want to get up to heaven uh, at the end of my life and realize that halfway through my life, I gave in to hopelessness. I don't want to give, get to heaven and realize that, that, that I did not apply uh, God's redemption of me to allow me to endure through the difficulties. There's a Puritan preacher, Richard Baxter, who wrote a book called The Saints Everlasting Rest. And it was basically a book encouraging Christians to use the fact that we have heaven that awaits us uh, to get through the difficulties of this life. And, and he encourages us to, to imagine what that will be like. He encourages us um, to, to imagine us walking up and down the streets of New Jerusalem, 
Look at the towers, look at the architecture, uh, look at the grass of the field. We can imagine Jesus looking to us face to face, telling us, well done, good and faithful servant. So don't give in to hopelessness. God has a plan and we can endure through hope. Rise above cynicism and, and hopelessness. Look to him and all that awaits along with him. He will lead you home. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your plans for our lives. We pray that you would uh, give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to look upon your plan and be obedient to it, to wait on it, and to through hope overcome and endure the difficulties that we have. We look forward to this new year and we hold our plans with open hands and we pray that you would bless our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.